This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 31st, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Concerns about closing military bases around the globe hinge upon preserving global stability and enhancing American security. But it's worth considering the idea that perhaps all that firepower around the world doesn't enhance U.S. security and creates unnecessary animosity. John Glazer is Associate Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. We spoke last week about closing military bases. So since World War II, the United States has adopted a, an expansive grand strategy where um, we not only see it as in our interest to secure U.S. security, but also to uh, ensure the peace and stability of the world. One of the primary ways we do that is to have forward deployed bases uh, all over the world, especially in critical choke points. How many of these bases exist? So we have about uh, 800 military bases in about 70 or 80 countries abroad. Uh, that amounts to about 270,000 plus uh, overseas troops at any given time. Um, and part of the idea here is to, at, when, when we deter adversaries, like say our base in South Korea deters North Korea from causing any trouble or our bases in Europe deters Russia from causing any trouble in Eastern Europe. Um, what we do is not only deter adversaries, but we reassure allies and therefore disincentivize them uh, from building up their own security uh, capabilities. I mean, in the case of NATO, that amounts to a pretty substantial subsidy to countries that, as uh, data shows, don't spend that much on defense. It sure does. And, the, you know, the complaint about free riding is odd in a way because it's the point of our grand strategy is to have people spend less on their defense because um, in order to sort of cr create a more peaceful international environment, we prevent allies from building up their defense capabilities and we deter adversaries. And by doing this, we prevent the kinds of conflict spirals that were common in previous eras. Um, so since Donald Trump gets elected, uh, some people view his sort of um, departure, at least rhetorically, from this liberal world order that the United States has built as worrying because um, they interpret it as saying, well, we don't need all these bases all over the world. We don't need to maintain the peace and security of the world. Other states can do that. And this is worrying to them because they think without what's sometimes called the American pacifier, without these forward deployed bases that pacify the international system, we're going to have uh, a conflict-prone world where states go to war with each other again. But having bases around the world, how much has that contributed to peace and global stability? So it's hard to say. I think uh, especially early on in the post-war years and early Cold War years, there was an argument that we really did pacify the international system, at least with regard to um, certain uh, areas. So. Germany, and uh, it was important to build up Japan uh, after its destruction and so on. But, you know, we can only sort of gauge uh, how effective this American pacifier strategy has been by comparing it with the alternative theories about why we do live in a more peaceful world. Um, 
So, for example, one major one that scholars point to is nuclear weapons, right? When you have uh, the great powers and some not-so-great powers possessing nuclear weapons, it creates a situation of mutually assured destruction, right? So this heavily disincentivizes states from going to war. Um, Some people look at the nuclear peace theorists, though, and they say, well, that's pretty much redundant. The conventional power of modern industrial militaries alone is enough to deter states from going to war with each other, because we saw the damage that they could do in World War I and World War II. Other scholars point to economic interdependence. So we're in a situation in which, you know, since 1950, global GDP has increased by tenfold. States may have just come to believe that they can achieve their national goals by getting rich and trading with countries as opposed to going to war. And so some scholars say that has a sort of pacifying effect on uh, the international system, the fact that we uh, rely on amicable international relations in order to get rich. We need their stuff. Exactly. Um, Some other people point to this dramatic normative shift that's taken place over the course of um, decades. So John, Cato's own John Mueller points to World War I um, and says, look, if you go back to World War I, the, most of the European leaders in, uh, in the lead up to World War I talked about war as something to aspire to. It was a kind of glorious national experience that um, uh, made a country manly and virtuous. And we had leaders like Teddy Roosevelt who used some of the same language. Um, And now, these days, you know, I think even the alleged warmongers among us describe war as something of a last resort. Um, And so that really is a moral shift where most developed societies have decided, okay, a war is a savage enterprise and we should do everything we can to avoid it. And that's that really is different from not so long ago in our history. All right. So for countries that currently possess or have within their borders a U.S. military base stocked by uh, 20 or 30,000 troops, as in the case of South Korea, what, uh, what do we tell them? Uh, if 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 it makes sense for the United States for U.S. security for saving you know, tens or hundreds of billions of dollars a year uh, to withdraw uh, from those bases or close those bases, what do we tell them? Well, first of all, if states are scared for their security and they're worried that uh, they're vulnerable to attack. They, like South Korea, for example, or Japan, or most of Europe, they're rich and powerful enough to build up their own capacity. So the United States doesn't need to be the pacifier over there. Um, But the other thing that they should try to realize is that we're again living in a what some IR scholars refer to as defense-dominant environment. It's a situation in which conquest is really hard, um, deterrence is the name of the game, and peace is um, a factor in this modern world for a lot of other reasons besides the American pacifier. Developing your own internal security is something that takes time. 
it is not something that you can do overnight. It takes years to build up the kind of infrastructure to uh, be effective at deterring a threat or at least making uh, some sort of invasion very, very costly for the person who would choose to do so. So, what does a, what would a, might a transition look like of the United States away from extending all these security guarantees, having troops uh, based all around the world? What would that transition away from what we have now look like? So, there are some people that, first of all, point out that uh, most of the states that, whose security we guarantee already have the infrastructure in place to be able to deter adversaries. I mean, Europe is a really cooperative place, uh, and they have a massive GDP compared to their primary geopolitical threat, which is Russia, which has a GDP approximately equivalent to Italy's. Um, and they have military capabilities, but they just don't do the kinds of defense acquisitions or uh, budgetary uh, things that they could do in, in the absence of the American pacifier. So first of all, they're already prepared to be able to deter. The other thing to point out is that, again, the world is more peaceful for a lot of reasons, not just that um, the United States is there to deter them, and if we were to back out, they could deter themselves. Uh, you're, you know, there, there are reasons that have nothing to do with military capacity that um, explain why uh, France and Britain are not about to go to war with each other. That used to be a sort of regular fact of European life, that these two powers were always at each other's throats and going to war and uh, killing a lot of each, other, uh, each other's people. Uh, that's not happening today for a lot of reasons, uh, a lot of political developments, a lot of moral developments, a lot of economic developments um, that, again, don't have to do with military capabilities. John Glazer is Associate Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.